Thank you for joining us. This is Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide with Chartered Psychologist and author Dr. Gary Wood and professional skeptic and self-help abuser Paul Flower. In short bursts, we blow the froth off popular psychology to sift the science from the snake oil to find the things that could actually make you happier. Well, we're having a little bit of a change for this episode of Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide in that I've been allowed to do the introduction. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Power. Don't let it go to your head. Yeah. I forgot what I'm going to say now. In the previous episode, we talked about how to cope with stress. And there is a little bit of a, a thought that maybe coping with stress is just about surviving. So in this episode, well, I thought it'd be useful to talk about the difference between surviving and growth. So can we thrive with stress? Can we do more with it, perhaps? If we look at self-help books, there are broadly two types of book. There are problem-focused books, how can I fix this? And, and that's more the survival. And then there are growth-oriented books, is uh, who am I and how can I be a better version of me? And so if you've ever attended uh, any kind of learning and development workshop, you've probably been subjected to the joys of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Tell me you have. Um, yeah, mostly in a productivity sense, I think, you know, so in, um, in business training rather than anything else. It's the pyramid, isn't it, basically? That's it. And at the bottom of the pyramid, there are physiological needs. And at the top end, there are the the loftier needs of how can I be a better version of myself or the best possible version of myself, also known as self-actualization. What isn't always made clear in those training sessions, we might think of as a, as a like a vertical axis. So at the bottom of the pyramid, those things are all survival needs. And the further up we go, they become growth needs. So right at the top is the ultimate growth. That's what self-actualization. So the aim is to climb the pyramid. The aim is, yeah, once you've satisfied the needs at the bottom, so things like survival needs, also known as the four Fs of feeding, fighting, fleeing and uh, copulating. <laughs> <laughs> so once we've, once we've coped with those, you know, the general survival needs, including water, sleep, you know, all the existence needs, mm -hmm. then we can actually start thinking of something a bit more loftier. So as we move up, we're thinking about safety and security. Then as we move up, we're thinking about love and belongingness, then cognitive needs, aesthetic needs. And right at the top, there is self-actualization. Although in newer versions, there's actually transcendence at the top. It's gone a bit L. Ron Hubbard on us if they do that, hasn't it? it yes, it, it has, the transcendence. I think it's the idea of, of overcoming your sense of self. So it's almost kind of quite Buddhist, you know, the, yeah. the idea of the self is an illusion. But we can cover that in another episode. Maslow would be turning in his pyramid. No, he, <laughs> no, he actually did come on. I think it was I, I, an 80s version, which says a lot. Uh -huh. I think he reappraised it a little bit in 80s, but... The the 80s version is not promoted so much. People just stick to the old, you know, 19... Those the Ma classic Maslow the hippie years. Stick to the classics. <laughs> now, I've done something similar myself in a previous book I wrote, uh, was a, a learning skills book. I rejigged that to propose that life skills are learning skills and vice versa. Because, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, we're talking about how do we learn study skills. And I've argued that they're just actually life skills. It means there's the way you manage your studying is the way you manage your life and vice versa. So I've proposed four factors. One is attitudes, is how we make sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And we can think about that, remember that from a transactional model of stress is our attitudes are very important to shaping our view of the world. 
The viewing influences the doing and vice versa. Mm -hmm. The second factor is well-being. So that's taking care of the physiological needs, such as diet, exercise, sleep, and relaxation. And students are notorious for not taking care of diet, exercise, sleep, and relaxation. Well, part of that is that because, you know, as you were saying with deadlines, deadlines tend to kind of motivate you. And for students, they tend to leave, you know, that dissertation to the the ultimate end deadline and then end up kind of plowing through things in in the middle of the night to get it done. As do we all. So sleep doesn't really come into it, does it? And, And it's interesting that if we eat a junk diet, that's going to influence our mood it's also going to influence our cognition our thought processes i don't know where you've seen those brain training machines you know you're supposed to sit there on a little device and you do all these things and it improves your brain and it doesn't actually work the most effective thing to improve cognition and memory is 20 minutes aerobic activity so get yourself on a treadmill, get yourself running around the block, get yourself on a, an exercise bike, and that boosts cognition more than anything. I'm a massive believer in, in exercise to de- uh, defeat depression. I think that that is one thing that has always really worked worked well for me. Um, but I didn't really kind of, I hadn't made the connection between that and cognition as much. It, and it, it affects both. So an easy way is to, if you deal with your diet, you don't have so much junk food. If you're influenced by a Mediterranean, Okinawan kind of diet as a basis, uh, if you get a bit of exercise, if you improve your sleep, that improves cognition and mood. That also has a knock-on effect for diet. So if sleep doesn't satisfy you, you'll get up the next day feeling very unsatisfied and food's the easiest thing. So there's a link between sleep and diet. Mm -hmm. And then relaxation, we mentioned in the last episode, is the way that we can short-circuit the stress response. So when I uh, talk to students about study skills, I say, if you can take care of these four things, you automatically get an edge. And you're automatically going to process information a little bit better. Your mood's going to be a little bit better. So it's, it's almost like a free boost. So it's, it's physical health to, to boost mental health, really, is, is what we're talking about here. Physical health to boost mental health and to boost our, our ability to process information. Yeah. So the other factor then is I've done attitudes, I've done well-being, is cognition. And it's working with psychology rather than working against it. Probably it's going to come as a big surprise to you is I'm quite lazy. And I think that if I can work smarter, not harder. So work with how the brain works and work with how psychology works rather than working against it. And that that's across all aspects of life. Is there an individual approach to this? So, so do you have to work out how your brain works in order to, to, to get to that point? So you knowing you're lazy helps you to kind of know that then what you need is to work smarter, not harder, and that will make you happier. There's a little bit of bit of both. And when I when I studied as a student, I got my revision time studied out from 14 hours a day to five hours a day. And there was no change in uh that's because I didn't know all that I know now. Uh, and so, but there were no, cha- there were, there were no change in grades. So the, the old idea, if I work 14 hours and I just turn up and put in the time, that's going to make me, that's going to get results. And it doesn't. If you put in five hours of quality stuff, that's going to get you the results. Have you ever considered that maybe you're just a, a, a you know, moderate level student and you're only ever going to get Cs, whether you put in 11 hours or 44 hours? The idea is, is that you, you, you can improve. 
by working with the psychology. So the idea, we're doing these podcasts in 20-minute bursts. Yes. Because human attention span is roughly 20 minutes. So there, there, is a, there is a psychological reason for that. And, and that's how I would study. I would do things in short bursts of 20 minutes to a half hour. Then I'd have a short break and I'd either do something physical. In, in my case, it, of course, it would be a cup of coffee and a fig roll. I'm, seeing, I'm, I'm obsessed with fig rolls today. I don't know why. I think, I think, that, I to... I think you've mentioned them in two episodes running. Yes. There needs to be a website set up that's called, you know, a crowdfunding type website called Buy Me a Fig Roll. <laughs> and my, I, I would just be contributing to my own fund. Do fig rolls actually exist outside the UK? Are they called something different elsewhere? That, that's what I'm slightly worried about for our international audience. Lots of uh, lots of Mediterranean food has got kind figs of versions it. of fig rolls. As an aside, I cooked lamb chops with r- figs poached in red wine, and the sauce was flavoured with a little bit of marmalade and chopped mint last night. So is, they- is there no end to your talents? Uh, well, no beginning. <laughs> to the truth be known, right. And the fourth factor is management skills. So it's how we manage moods and emotions and our time and resources. So it's all about making the the most of the time so you mentioned jobs uh, and we've mentioned that the idea that work is a main stressor uh, and sometimes we have very little control over what we do in the you know we're sort of at the mercy but if we can start to link our goals with values as we've talked about in a, in a previous episode if we can maybe just reorder the schedule so we can do things in a slightly different order. There was a reason at school why maths was on first thing of the morning. It wasn't sadism. It's we, <laughs> we just process things a little bit better. And let's be honest, I mean, I don't know about your school, but my school, after Friday afternoon, the only thing I was fit for was a bit of colouring in and looking out the window. <laughs> uh, and, and he'd actually said that on the timetable. Sometimes moving things around. So it's it's basically then, so it comes back to the resources thing, doesn't it, to a certain extent. You are managing your resources and making sure you do the work that you're capable of at the right times of day as well as everything else. Yeah. And you're going to be more capable in the mornings potentially. So, you know, focus some of those early difficult tasks at, at those times. And I know these kind of things from reading countless productivity manuals. If you've had a kind of heavy lunch... Don't start any kind of difficult problem solving because there's such a thing called post-lunch dip. So our attention and our capacity goes down after lunch. A lunch dip sounds great, by the way. Yeah, post-lunch dip. So if we've... Well, that's not hummus, by the way. <laughs> but it, it's the idea that sometimes we cannot control the big things, but we can take control of the small things. And that can get us out of that mere survival and just sitting there grinning and bearing it. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, I, I, I've worked with people and they said something like, I need 20 minutes start on the day. But the minute I sit at my desk, people start coming to talk to me. And I simply asked the question, does your day need to start at your desk? And they went, no, I can go and hide in the conference room. (laughs) And that 20 minutes actually transformed everything. That's crazy, isn't it, though, that that they didn't think of that? You know, you don't necessarily think of things because you're used to doing things in a certain way. And that's the way that they've always been done. But if you want to improve things, you've got to look again. Yeah. 
And that, well, that's the reason why you come to a coach is because it's my job to shoulder some of that stress. Said the coach. He's, he's any coach. <laughs> All the coaches do exist. Uh, when we're stressed, we don't necessarily make those connections. We don't problem solve as well as we might. So it's my job sometimes just to ask those really naive questions. And people say, why didn't I think of that? And the answer is because you're stressed. So it's my job to take away some of that stress. So that frees up the clients to be more creative. I'm dealing with some of the survival so they've got more capacity to deal with the growth. Yeah, and it, it's worth stating that you are more of a practical uh, life coach. You, that's, you know, that's the way you, you've always kind of sold your services, as it were. Um, I'm making them sound a little bit downgraded, but you, know, you, are, you, are, yeah. you think very practically. Well, coaching should have goals involved and it should be action, about action. So if we think about attitudes, what happens often is we get trapped in a thinking feeling cycle. So we'll have a thought that makes us feel some way or we have a feeling it makes us think. And so when we're deciding to try and do something, we get locked and we're assessing the feelings. How do I feel this? What's my gut saying? What do I think about this? And it never leads to any action. The quickest way to change perception is to take an action and it doesn't matter how small that action is because it's fresh input and it will make you think about things in a slightly different way. Okay. I think that's a good takeaway, actually. That's a really good takeaway. I've got more if you want to. Always. (laughs) But it was interesting. We're we're talking about self-help books and we will have an an, an episode, I think, on self-help books and how to read them and which ones are, are perhaps better than others, which authors are perhaps better than others and more useful um, in our honest opinions. And it was interesting while you were talking about stress and, and what quantity of, of kind of products were out there that dealt with stress, I had a look at how many books had stress in the title and oh, uh, instantly came up with 60,000 books that uh, mentioned Ooh. stress. That's, they've cut them down then, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> now, it, it, it is, it's an important topic, but the, some of the principles are actually quite simple. And what we tend to be drawn to sometimes is novelty. So there are tried and trusted things that, that do work. So the humble breathing exercise does work. So I, I sometimes get asked by magazine editors, can you give us some tips on doing this? But we don't want to know these. Cause, and I'm thinking, well, though, those are the things that work. Why not just do the stuff that works? And, yeah. But obviously, you can't generate a new magazine article from it. And sometimes there's this idea of reinventing the wheel and can we do it in a different way? And, you know, the, 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 all the diet fads and all this. And often there are some basics that we can follow. And we can. the idea is to take control quickly. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I wanted to mention is a few episodes back, I talked about flow. Uh, and so to, to say a little bit more about your friend that. Flo and that's yes Flo yes bless her aunt's Flo yeah uh, <laughs> no we are talking about the concept of being in flow by the renowned psychologist Mihai Csikszent Mihai you just like bringing him up because you remember how I his do. name is I do. Uh, yeah, pronounced I do. <laughs> you big show off yes yeah, so Flo Flo if we think about when we feel stressed, the kind of things we do is like we kind of watch TV. That's one of the things we do. And that's a low challenge activity and it requires low skill. So I'm thinking in terms of flow about how we balance the challenges with our skills and strengths. So the whole, you know, demands and resources. Watching TV, if we've got a low challenge and, a, and we're meeting it with a low skill, it creates a sense of apathy. If we've got a high challenge 
and we've got a perceived low skill, that's going to cause anxiety. With the idea of flow, then, if we can just work out what our skills and strengths are and then use goals to support them, we can change these psychological states. So, for instance, if we've got a low challenge, but it's a high skill. So, I don't know, cooking, I keep mentioning food. Uh, and it's a, it's my favorite recipe. That's more likely to put us into a state of relaxation because we just know what we're doing. We've got the skills. If we want to maybe do something slightly more challenging, so a moderate challenge, also with our high skill, that's going to bring about a sense of control. And if we take on a high challenge with our high skill, something that will just stretch us, that's going to put us in a state of flow. And remember that the more time we spend in the state of flow is a definition of happiness. And it's important to recognize that the goals need to stretch us and they're based on our personal levels of skill. So it doesn't mean we are high skilled with comparisons to someone else. It means we're high skilled by our own standards in something. How, what do we judge to be our skills? Yeah. Now, this is, if you remember, I, I don't know if you, whether you've ever got anything, uh, you know, you've got a, a looming deadline or a report to write or something, and instead you'll find something else to do, a displacement activity, such as, oh, I need to descale the coffee machine. And of course you don't. <laughs> but what it is, it's you doing an activity that you can control. So you're finding something you can control. Rather, and to you, you say, okay, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, but at least I'm taking control. Yeah, still I've achieved something. Yes. So that, obviously, when students are doing stuff, they they often, you know, draft up their study timetable and then they colour it in and then they <laughs> create a mind map of it. And it's, a, it's the idea of I'm taking control of this, I'm structuring my learning, but never ever doing any learning. So it's important to recognise that the skill needs to stretch us. So probably my takeaway bit now is, uh, I don't know whether you remember the, the writer, raconteur and personality, Quentin Crisp. Of course. And it's a philosophy I subscribe to. And it's don't try and keep up with the Joneses. Drag them down to your level. It's cheaper. And I, <laughs> I often tell, I tell clients about this. So what it is about is when we're talking about survival versus growth, it's working out what, you, what your skills and your strengths are and then competing with your own personal best. If you're going to compare yourself to somebody who has a much higher skill, that can be demotivating. If you're always performing to your best, now that's the self-actualization we talked about. It also gives us a sense of control. It also gives puts us in a sense of flow. And that, I would argue, is happiness. And there's no better place to end than that, you know point i don't think you know if we can if we can define happiness within 20 minutes we've done a damn good job well we it's six lots of 20 minutes so far so uh... <laughs> yes and many more to come so you can certainly look forward Indeed. to that uh, he's been mc hummus and i've been uh, chomping at the bit oh and, uh, we would be pleased if you'd subscribe to this podcast and review it wherever you feel possible tell all your friends we are uh, happiness a skeptic's guide I'm putting my bit away now and we can be found at skeptics guide on twitter and uh, happiness for skeptics on facebook do join in the conversation we would be uh, pleased to share more information with you via those mediums that was and is happiness a skeptics guide with self-confessed skeptic and serial self-help abuser paul flower and me psychologist and coach gary wood Remember to hit the subscribe button so you'll be the first to know about new podcasts.